This is the Sibling Library Podcast. You will know when to start listening when you hear the chimes ring like this. Let's begin now. Welcome to Sibling Library, the podcast where we read, share, and repeat. My name's Julia. My name's Megan. And I'm Katie. (laughs) Katie, you always make a face whenever you say your name. Your eyes always, like, do a rainbow. I don't actually... (laughs) Huh, Megan? And I. I didn't notice it until you said it, but, yeah. Um, so it's not because I, I think say she's like she's deciding as she's saying it what she's gonna say. See, <laughs> I always Katie. just yep, I always just imitate whoever went first. Yep, I've noticed that about so. you. Mm-hmm. All right, well, one of us is gonna have to bring the energy tonight. <laughs> we'll see. It won't be who me. it is. <laughs> but welcome, kind of late. Yeah, welcome to this month's episode. We're excited to have you. Uh, and in this month, we typically like to talk about things we're thankful for or things we love. Now, that's probably more February about things we love. November is for things we're thankful for. And this month, we are all about being thankful for authors and book creators because otherwise, who knows what we would podcast about? Without the books... There's no sibling I can't library. Think, yep, I can't. I can't. Yep, I can't think of a thing. <laughs> it would just be siblings. Oh, no one wants that. All right, so let's get started. We are going to have an icebreaker in which we are going to talk about some of these authors we are thankful for, and then we're each going to go around and talk about a recent author talk that we've been to. And we have a very special guest this month, Emily Waters, a newly published author of uh, Honey and the Marrow. And she also happens to be one of my best friends. So that's very exciting. So excited to talk to her. Yes, very exciting. Yeah. Um, But let's get started with our icebreaker. All right. So today we're going to go around the table and everybody, you're supposed to talk about who is an author or book creator that you have made a conscious effort to either read everything they've published or a good amount of their works? Megan, you go first. Um, okay. I have a couple, well, three that I want to mention. One from my childhood, Roald Dahl. I really, really, as a kid, wanted to read everything he ever wrote. I never came close but I read quite a bit of his uh, his fiction for children um, at the age of a child, at the appropriate age, um, or the intended age, I guess. We, we've talked in previous episodes of whether he, he, his writing is actually appropriate is up for determination, I guess, person by person. But um, as a child, I definitely wanted to get through as much Roald Dahl as I could. Um, Now, as an adult, I have a couple authors who I'm, like, keeping an eye out for whenever uh, they release a new book or whenever their books are actually available at the library. Um, One of them is Colleen Hoover. Um, She's written books like Verity, um, 
regretting you. And right now I'm actually reading a book by her called November 9. And I picked it up because it's November and it was titled November 9. Um, So I probably will try to make it through as much of her writing as I can before I get tired of it. Um, And then the other one that I want to mention is Taylor Jenkins Reid, who's the author of um, Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo and Malibu Rising and one or two other ones that I've read, um, who I'll also keep an eye out for anytime she releases a new book, too. Katie? Well, I came in with one, but since Megan had three, I've got to answer with at least that many, so... (laughs) During my childhood, at the age of a child, at an inappropriate age, I read a whole lot of Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> I also have not come close to reading all of his all of his works, but I, I read a bunch um, and really enjoyed his his stories and and work. Uh, as I got a little bit older, I remember in high school, junior high and high school, reading seeking out and reading several novels written by Isabel Allende. I really enjoy her work. She wrote um, The House of Whispers. I might have that title wrong. Again, I'm coming in with this as a as a last second ad because... <laughs> because I, you're a professional podcaster. Because I'm a professional yeah, House podcaster of the and, I'm, and I'm too competitive. House of the Spirits, thank you. I'm thinking of a a, um, a comic book series right now, House of Whispers. House of the Spirits is the is the first book by her that I've read, but I've read several others and uh, really really enjoy her work too. More and most recently, uh, I read a lot of graphic novels and comic books, and probably the author or creator that I've collected and, and read the most of is Jeff Lemire. I have not read all of his work either. He's done a lot of work with Marvel. He might have done some with DC as well. I, I can't recall, but I, I've only read a little bit of his his Marvel work where he um, dabbled in the, the Moon Knight world. Um, but he's also, uh, he's famous for Sweet Tooth. Um, and he uh, also wrote, uh, my favorite my favorite series by him is probably Descender. Um, so that's, that's the most recent creator uh, that I've been really following in in recent times. Julia. Well, I was coming at this with just one person. Um, if I think of anybody else, I will let you know because I also don't want to be outdone. But you can both probably guess who I'm going to say or at least you won't be surprised. Um, can I guess? I, yeah. Sophie Kinsella? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we turned this into a game somehow. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, Sophie Kinsella is somebody that I've been reading uh, for a long time. I don't remember when the very first uh, Confessions of a Shopaholic was released, but it was a while ago. Um, and I've read every one of the books in that series, and I think I have read all of her standalone novels uh up to this point and also she has expanded into children's literature so she's got a series um a series for kids that I've read a couple of um and yeah I just her books are always they're just fun you don't have to think too hard there's usually they're always very heartfelt and 
like they're like a Hallmark movie, but better written. I was just gonna say it's, that it's, be- yeah. it's better. It's like better written. Hallmark movie, but yeah, yeah. but more complex. Yeah. Um, but not so complex that you you need to like put it down to take breaks. Exactly. Um, and make it easily digest. Yeah, and they're always they're always very funny. Um, they're never they're never so ridiculous that you're kind of roll your eyes at him it's just it's just good writing like i highly recommend her um any of them like the shopaholic series is great and you don't you don't have to read that in order if you just see a shopaholic book like at your local library it doesn't matter if it's number one or number eight um you don't necessarily have to read those in order because she'll always do they're they can each stand on their own but it's helpful to know all the backstory but you don't have to um which is kind of nice in a series if you don't if you don't necessarily have to go all the way back to the beginning if like series aren't your thing overwhelming yeah yeah um but yeah no sophie kinsella for sure um she also sophie kinsella is her pseudonym i believe her name is madeline wickham which she has also published under and i've read all of those that sounds like a pseudonym too possibly she writes under both names one may be her name, one may not be her name. Sophie Kinsella is not her real name, but the, I believe that is the one she is best known for. So that was kind of a two for one. Madeline Wickham slash Sophie Kinsella. And I did think of another author that I enjoy, which is kind of more on the mystery slash psychological thriller side of things. Sherry LaPena. Hmm. I think I've, I've never heard of her correctly. Um, she has several books out. I think there's one called The Couple Next Door. There's a bunch of them, but they are just the right amount of creepy and keep you guessing until the end when there's some kind of twist. Um, so I recommend her as well. Right amount of creepy for anybody yeah. or what about even like wimps like me? You would like it. Because okay. Verity was kind of... Rep. Yeah, Verity was. I, I'm. Yeah. I. Creepy. I don't think it's harder than it would be creepier than that. I think you. Okay. I think you'd like her. And Katie likes to read anything, so. I do. Um. Well, thanks for those fun answers, and maybe we've helped you find a new author to discover. Or if you have a favorite author that we should know about, feel free to let us know via Instagram, Facebook. We have an email address somewhere. <laughs> we do. So we just keep forgetting to remember it. Yep. <laughs> uh, I believe you can find it on our Instagram, though. That is probably the easiest way to get in touch with us. Instagram at SiblingLibraryPod. So now that we are halfway through the month of November, did you guys know that November 1st is Author Appreciation Day? I did. I read that somewhere. I just learned it just now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Megan just totally told us both that. So thanks, Megan. We definitely planned this episode around November 1st being Author Appreciation Day. It was just meant to be. Yeah. And we do appreciate authors because, again, without them, what the heck would we be here talking about? Who knows? Who knows? Probably nothing. I really appreciate what authors do 
coming from someone who has writer's anxiety all the time. I I could not I could not do what they do. <laughs> you know. We it's appreciate not you. easy. Yeah. I I like writing. I just don't like creative writing. Not that I don't like it. I'm not good at creative writing. I am good at factual writing. They're very different things. Mm-hmm. Megan, you kind of can do both. Whether you're practiced at both, but yeah. 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 I used to. I used to love doing both. I've never been able to keep a journal, though. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Off and on. That stresses me, me out. Um, but yeah, so now we're going to go around and talk about a whole slew of author talks that we've been to. And Katie, you're going to take us all the way back to June when we all met up at the Fairfield Library for a special author talk. Can you tell us about that, please? I can. I would love for either of you to fill in some blanks. Uh, because oh, that's probably not going to happen been... because it has. I did not take a single note. <laughs> I can't find my notes. So. I remember the name of the author. I do remember that. Would you like to say it? Stacy Lee. Yes. So I will preface this by saying I have been to many an author talk that Julia has asked me to accompany her on. And I think I could count on one finger. I don't even know (laughs) (laughs) how many of the authors I actually knew or had heard of before going to them. I always enjoy it. So I, I recommend highly, like anytime you see an event near near you, even if you don't know who the author is, listening to creators is fascinating, especially coming from someone who is not creative at all. Just hearing what their process is like is super well, That's not true, Katie. You are creative, just in not in that way. Okay. Well, thank you. This is not about me, but... I'm not creative in the same way that they are. So hearing how how they think and how they um, build worlds and create characters and place those characters in those worlds is very, very interesting to me. And that's probably just coming from the, the reader side of me as well. Um, but Stacey Lee um, was very, very charming. She came in, she had mm-hmm. her own little PowerPoint. She brought in her laptop and set it up <laughs> and had a whole presentation and was, um, you know, very initially kind of said, I'm, I'm told often that I, I speak too softly. So please tell me if I'm, I'm not speaking loud enough. There was no microphone. It was a very intimate setting. So um, she is a uh, young adult historical fiction author. Is that a fair representation? That is. In terms yeah. of like what she... Yeah, and it was interesting during her talk, she did talk about that and how, I don't remember if somebody asked her or what, but she did mention that she would like to write other types of books, but her publisher is not too sure. (laughs) Like, they like her right where she is. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. and not just, I think also specifically, she had all of her main characters are Asian Mm -hmm. characters as well, at least in all the books that I know of. Yeah, Stacey yeah. Lee is Chinese American, um, so she she speaks from a uh, a place of you know having at least familial knowledge of of the history, 
of a lot of things that um, that that are in her books. Um, she was there specifically to speak about a book called The Downstairs Girl. And the, the theme of the month that the library had going was groundbreaking women in history. So obviously this is historical fiction. So the, the, the woman in her book or young adult in her book uh, was, was not an actual character, but um, you know, she, it was, uh, she, she went into a lot of what her, how she does her research and how important her research is to her. And that probably was the most interesting part of the discussion for me. Um, and it actually came towards the end of the talk after she'd gotten through all of her material where she kind of talked about her history. Um, and she, you know, talked about how she came to be an author because she, um, she actually started out as a, as a law student. She went to uh, law school at UC Davis and, um, decided actually I don't I don't remember in her talk because again it's been since June I don't remember how she went from law student to uh, fiction writer but um, she talked a lot about how her uh, her law degree and the way that she studied and, and the way that she learned uh, informs her writing even now uh, she I, re I remember that she talked about how in writing um, you know, her, her papers for, for school, she would get, uh, deductions or, you know, you know, marks down for every single adjective that she used. In I her think writing. she got fined. fined. I think her professor I was gonna fined say her that, like a quarter, yeah, a quarter an adjective or something like that. Yeah. So, so it was very, uh, very drummed into her that she needed to be uh, brief and to the point and not flowery with her writing. So now when she writes... And also to choose her words carefully. Exactly. And that's where I was yeah. going. Um, was oh, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> I stepped <laughs> on you. It's all right. Um, but she, yeah, exactly. She, she kind of takes pleasure in the fact that it's almost like an indulgence when she uses a um, an adjective. So she's very careful about the ones that she chooses and she wants them to to really be the perfect choice for for her writing um so i remember i remembered that that stood out to me um and again uh, and Go sorry can i add to that because i think i'm the only one of the three of us that has have have either of you guys read the downstairs? No, yeah, I was actually going to go to you at, you at a certain point and, and say... Oh, you did say, read it. Okay. Say if you guys liked it, because I actually haven't read it, so I would like to. I was kind of next on on the, the list of reading the book that we picked up from the talk, but what did you I listened think of to it? it. Oh, okay. I was just going to say that that definitely shines through in her writing, um, that she's very intentional with her word choice. Um, and that's my favorite part of her writing is that it's I wouldn't say that her writing is flowery, but it is very beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I enjoy I enjoyed her writing style as well. The uh, story itself was all right. Yeah, she has some pacing issues because I've read I read another book of hers, too, and they start out really, really great. And then the middle gets very, very long and then it wraps up kind of quickly. Um, but the, the middle in both of her books that I've read, um, she kind of lost me in. I'm still going to try it. I, I enjoyed, um, her talking about the, the process of how she got to the story of the downstairs girl, because 
she talks about how, uh, so this essentially this um, Chinese American um, female is living underground, which was actually fairly common for the Chinese community uh, around that time. And it was, it was during uh, Jim, Jim Crow era. And she could hear through, I think the, either the ventilation system or, or something that um, there was a, an advice columnist in the newspaper because she lived underneath a, a printing press, a, a newspaper. Um, uh, what would you call that? Building? Newspaper press? Office. Newspaper office. Um, the advice columnist was retiring and she wrote in to, to kind of put herself up for the job, but didn't say who she was. So she was doing this, all of this anonymously. And um, she tells a story uh, right before going into this about, or kind of uses an analogy of uh, a pomegranate and how how difficult it is to to get to the seeds, um, but that when but that you, it's it's a great reward when you when you work really hard to get there. So maybe we'll insert a clip of that here. Great women in history, they don't play it safe. They take risks, and in doing so, they change the status quo. As an advice columnist, Joe must invite people in to wrestle with these controversial issues, and the wrestling is what leads to the greater truth. I'm reminded of pomegranates, yes. a fruit that I love, but I find it a challenge to open. I recently gave a talk in Ohio, and people really didn't eat these there in Ohio, but it's Californians, we love pomegranates, right? And you may have that problem too. I mean, it's hard to open these things. It's a little tricky. You can go on YouTube and like YouTube hacks, which is what I did. Um, the last hack I did was like you take that pomegranate and you take a wooden spoon and you beat it all over the sides and then you break it open into a glass of water, a bowl of water, and the seeds are supposed to all fall out. Did, has anyone tried that? Has it? Well, it doesn't really work, but. <laughs> The last time I tried it, actually, the only time I tried it, a big white spider dropped out. And I like, I, I just dropped the bowl and it was like very traumatic for me. I'm getting away from my analogy and now it's not really working. But to get at the seeds of the pomegranate, you need to wrestle with it. That You need to wrestle. You might need to get your hands dirty. But you'll achieve something that's quite good for you. Joe Kwan is not an actual historical figure. She's based on my imagination. But I hope she inspires you to think about the women who've challenged the status quo, and in doing so, made the world a better place, whether through discovery, advocacy, leadership, or simply sharing an opinion. Um, but what she was referring to within this this context was that it took her some time to figure out what was the the core of the story um and she actually got to the point that the the book was about to be published and she realized that there was something missing to the story and she had to convince her her um, editor and her publisher to let her do kind of a rework of it which put it back you know, some time, which is, is a pretty big deal when it comes to a publishing schedule, but she just knew that there was something missing. And what she realized was that she needed the, the protagonist to have some skin in the game. So the, all of the, 
the advice columns that she was writing after she started taking up this role were the same as what her male predecessors had been doing and, and just kind of writing what what she thought women in the South, because it took took place in Atlanta, what she thought women in the South would want to hear about. But instead, she used it as a platform to um, to talk about things going on within Jim Crow era, which you can imagine are things like not allowing people of a certain color to sit in the front of a bus, things like that. So it, it made the story a lot more interesting and it, and it made her, made the protagonist have more, as she called it, skin in the game. So I, I thought that was a really interesting process because it seems so, so clear once you see the end product, but to think that the first draft was almost published without any of that in it and it was just her writing, you know, normal advice columns that were very, you know, non incendiary and, and just kind of that would have that sounded sounds a lot more boring than what she wound up with so it was just kind of interesting to hear how she got from that place to the place that actually she wound up with very cool well thank you for sharing that katie um and yeah so stacy lee has written several books for young adults mostly in the historical fiction realm um, and Megan, you are going to talk about a well-known celebrity of the Harry Potter world. Okay, so Julia and I went to go see Tom Felton um, at the Dominican University in San Rafael. Uh, they, he was speaking as part of their leadership series, and I believe the whole series is sponsored by a bookstore called Book Passage um, in the area which I had never heard of before this event, but apparently they've been around for a long time and do many events like this. Um, so yeah, uh, Tom Felton actually just released his memoir last month um, called Beyond the Wand. We weren't entirely sure what to expect with this talk. Um, it was in a, a, a fairly large auditorium, but not like massive. Um, and Julie and I had to go up to the balcony in order to be able to sit together because apparently there were a handful of people that waited from 8 a.m. to get in to see him, even though it was a ticketed event. Um, and Megan and I rolled right in. <laughs> we rolled right in. We parked in the faculty lot behind the building. Thought we might end up with a ticket when we came I back. I thought we were going to get towed. Yeah. <laughs> but our car was perfectly safe and fine and just a short 20-foot walk from the entrance. So maybe a little longer than that, but it was quite close. Um, so yeah, we um, we got to our seats and the it started like five minutes later. We didn't actually get to meet him, meet him, um, which was a little bit of a bummer, but I can totally understand why that was the case because everyone would have wanted to stay and talk to him forever, basically. Um, but the good news was they did give us a signed book plate, yes. which was a nice surprise because that was not listed anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we got to put his signature inside our books on a little sticker, which was cool. 
Um, so it started off, um, he had an interviewer whose name I, escapes me. I, I don't remember who's, what his name was, but he's apparently a, a radio personality from the area. Um, and Tom Felton started off by asking the interviewer to go easy on him because he was new at this. And at first I was like, well, no, you're not new at this. You've been interviewed for things forever since you were 12, right? Because you were in Harry Potter. But he definitely reminded us that, yes, he was in Harry Potter, but he wasn't like one of the the main three. He wasn't Daniel Radcliffe or Rupert Grant or Emma Watson. So he wasn't quite sent out into the stratosphere of fame quite to the extent that they were. And I think he also might have meant to go easy on him because this was his first interview specifically about his book. So anyway, um, overall, he seemed like a really normal guy. Um, In his book, he describes himself as disarming, um, which seeing him on stage and listening to him talk as Tom Felton and not as Draco Malfoy is like the exact right way to describe him. Like he was very disarming. He made me feel like he was a completely normal guy. Um, obviously, he he is a normal guy, but he he's Draco Malfoy, so he's pretty iconic too. Before reading this book, I didn't and. I didn't know that the whole there was a Dramione or Dramione uh, fandom out there wanting Tom Felton and Emma Watson to get together. And I guess I kind of started learning about that at the with the reunion, the Harry Potter reunion on HBO Max. They touch on that a little bit in that documentary. Um, but in the book, after reading the book, I so want them to end up together. Um, apparently, <laughs> apparently they have just a, a special relationship and Emma Watson actually wrote the foreword to the book and was very sweet and you can just tell that they have a lot of genuine um, love for each other and it's really cute. Well, he also, yeah, he also mentioned that if it wasn't for her, he probably wouldn't have published this book, yeah. Mm-hmm. In the actual interview itself, and Julie, I don't know if you felt this way too, but there were a couple of like, times where I felt really uncomfortable for him. Um, they At the end, they allowed uh, questions from the audience, and a couple of the questions I felt should have been not chosen, um, like the are you single and what's the criteria for your ideal mate, I thought needed to be filtered out. Like I just felt like that yeah. was very inappropriate. Um, what did you think, well- Julia? Speaking as someone that has sat in on many a convention presentation that includes Q&A from the audience, those were tame compared to some of the weird things that happen in there. Um, But no, I don't disagree with you that they could have kept it a little bit. Because it wasn't like a middle school audience where those kind of questions you would expect but yeah and it's like the questions were written out on note cards and specifically chosen it wasn't like they just randomly handed the mic and didn't know what was coming Mm -hmm. Um, so I thought that was interesting Um, but overall he's really funny Um, he even though he was very clearly uncomfortable giving the interview he gave great answers very thoughtful answers um and you can tell he's 
he's a creative person and cares about um, helping other people too. Um, overall, the book was a really fun one to read. Um, if you're a Harry Potter fan, there's a lot of behind the scenes um, anecdotes um, from from the movies that I never knew, um, which, which was really cool. Um, and it also went into, like, went deeper as well with, uh, apparently Tom Felton struggles with mental illness. Um, but it, it ultimately ended with a very positive message about, um, that we should talk about mental health and not just sweep it under the rug and it shouldn't be something that's taboo. It's something that people should be able to talk to each other about. Um, I think one of the, my favorite things that I learned from both the interview and from reading the book um, was that he had to kind of learn how to read the people who would encounter him like out in the wild like what type of fan he was coming across like did this fan want to get to know him Tom or did they want to have an encounter with Draco Malfoy so like he had to kind of determine whether he could be himself or whether he had to kind of stay in character but he did say that if he was staying in character as Draco Malfoy he tried to do it as in polite a way as possible and um my favorite part from the book talk or yeah I guess it was a book talk um from the the author talk was when he actually read an excerpt from his book about um interacting with his fans um that we can put in here you feel comfortable the first paragraph Okay, so let's help the, uh, okay. <laughs> it was an unusual situation. Yeah, right here. As the actor who played Draco Malfoy, I see myself. <laughs> as the actor who played Draco Malfoy, I see myself as a placeholder in people's memories. Seeing me transports them to a different time and place in the same way that listening to a particular song can be evocative or something else. I've met with fans who have explained that the books and films have helped them through hard times. It's a humbling truth to hear. Joe Rowling once said that her most gratifying moments come when she learns that her work has helped somebody get through a difficult moment in their life, and I agree. Sure. From time to time, seeing me causes people to react in unusual ways. <laughs> but I try to remember that those reactions are a function of the place these stories and films have in people's hearts, and to act accordingly. Just because Draco acts like a real dick, <laughs> it doesn't mean I have to. <laughs> Is that it? That's it. Yeah, I'm bummed I didn't get to join you guys for this one. Yeah. yeah, it was fun. Uh, you should always be bummed when you can't go to something that I have decided I am going to spend my time doing. <laughs> because... I never regret going. I say this every time. Nope. And Katie, you accompanied me to another book talk at... Or it wasn't a book talk. It was an author talk at the Charles Schultz Museum. You and I went to go see Mo Willems, who you had for sure never heard about. I had not. Megan didn't know. Nobody knew but me. Because By the time I got home, I had read three of his books. Yep. And 
I knew who he is because as a children's librarian, if you don't know where the elephant and piggy books are or possibly aren't on the shelf, are you really a librarian? (laughs) You're not. Um, Because his librarian. Yeah. His books fly off of the shelf. We cannot keep them there long enough, constantly in tatters, because as one of the teachers in the audience said, they read the covers off the book. <laughs> um, yeah. So he is the author of the Elephant and Piggy series, which is an easy reader type of book, um, and also the Pigeon books. And if you don't know Pigeon, you gotta go meet him because he is funny. And uh, that was one of the things that was interesting to me when he was talking about Pigeon, how Pigeon was greatly inspired by Charlie Brown himself, which if you think about it, and if you've read any of the Pigeon books, makes a lot of sense because, you know, Charlie Brown will never kick that football and the Pigeon will never drive that bus, no matter <laughs> how much they want it. Um, but... Mo Willems was there to mostly talk about his career. He wasn't there promoting any single book, even though there is a new uh, pigeon book out, which I believe is called um, Don't Let the Pigeon Ride the Roller Coaster. Katie, does that sound right? Because you did read that book on the way home. No, I think it's The Pigeon Rides the Roller Coaster. The Pigeon Rides the Roller Coaster. But yeah, so he talked about his whole career, which I also didn't know that he wrote for Sesame Street, which is very cool. He has also turned at least one of his books into a rock opera, which I have to find. Yeah, Megan, this guy, he's, he does it all. <laughs> um, he's pretty great. And one of the things that he talked about, and I'm not sure if he was specifically talking about this, about his books or like children's books in general, you can kind of tell what they're going to be about based on the shape of the book. But it was interesting. He he talked about, like, it, you know what the story is about in the sense that you know what the central point of it is. Like, he used Where the Wild Things Are as an example um, because it's a really wide rectangular book. And he said that book is, even though Max is the main character, it's not about Max. It's about the mm-hmm. wild things. And it's it, yeah. the size and, and, and spread of the pages allows you to pan out and see all of those things. It kind of it tells you what the central focus is by the way that it's shaped and the way that it's laid out. Yeah. And I'm probably going to put the clip of him talking about that here because he was much more eloquent and made much more sense than when I tried to explain it. This is... This is- you're going to do this filler, and here's the space you've got, and it's got right. to be, you know, it's got to be uh, usable so it can be either a square or a strip or vertical. Yeah. Either. Do you? I'm just interested as of, do you have much control over the the, the, the proportions of your oh, yes. books? Well, so there are two. Uh, for me, I'd say there are two points. One is so great to be insulted early in the career, <laughs> like, because all the other comic strips are basically each part of a rectangle, right? And then the Schultz are all squares. Because he didn't even get a comic strip. He got a, what if there isn't, if there's space in between other people's comic strips and we can just jam it in there for cheap, yeah, yeah. right? So automatically, you're not in an ivory tower. You know you have to sort of struggle more in a way. And that's really, really powerful. Right. Um, to the degree 
that I have control in my books. I have total control. And that's the joy. In television, when I started in television, all television was a square. You didn't have a choice. You made a feature, it was a rectangle, and television was a square. But in books, for instance, I did a book called Leonardo the Terrible Monster. It was very important to me that that be the largest physical book that you could make that could be shelved. Because that monster is very small and has no power. And if I say the word small, you don't make that discovery. So by having a very, very big book that's hard for a kid to open, when they see that monster, they will empathize with that monster and see how small it is. So the book is telling you how small the monster is. Um, other books you do for form, so Elephant and Biggies in a similar form to the uh, uh, Zoom Society. I was, I was just, books, I was just struck know. by one, of the, one comment I read about you with, on this about you felt that the square is such a fundamental shape. Yes. And that the, 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 the <coughs> characters, you want a book that's you know, portrait dimension, right. the rectangle is, is tall, uh, because you've got characters. They might be a giraffe, you might be a, you know, whatever right. it is, you need the height. If it's your book that's on place or location, then you want to... Right. You know, so the thing, pur Lily's Purple Plastic Purse is about living. Yeah. So it's a tall book. Where the wild things are is not about mapping. It's about where the wild things are. So it's wide, because that's how you take a wide picture. And a square book is saying, this is weird. Yeah. This is the form <laughs> of a book. So pay attention to it. But it's also dangerous because it's the same dimension as an owl, and so it's rock and roll. <laughs> Don't start that way. For those of you writing, right, figure out what the story is and then let the form follow that. But by and large, if you write a book, the shape, the invitation of the sculpture will already tell you what the book is about or what you will be focusing on within that context of that. So that it was, it's very clear that he has really thought out uh, responses to these questions and and has explained his process before and that's kind of what I was talking about earlier about why I enjoy going to these these discussions because when someone has really been asked to explain how they create these things they they come up with ways to explain it that are just really fascinating and the way that he interacted with the the Q&A because they kind of did Q&A amidst kind of the dispersed yeah yeah throughout throughout the hour not just at the end he was very interested in why the person was asking the question so uh, there were a, a couple different times that it was very clear based on the question and the way the person asked it he could tell right away that that person was an aspiring artist and he would start asking them questions kind of about what was what they were truly asking so that he could help them the most and give them the mm -hmm. best advice and I really appreciated that about about him. Like he 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 definitely is someone who enjoys being the center of attention. He said he loves making people laugh and he's hilarious, but he also would step back and make it about the other person. Um, you know, when when someone was clearly coming to him for some kind of information, like he really wanted to to kind of share that and pay it forward and perpetuate and and help new yeah. aspiring artists and creators. Yeah, he didn't have just a pat answer that, oh, yeah. like, oh, this question again. Let me right. just give a generic answer. He, You're right, Katie. He really wanted to hone in on why that person was asking that question and how he could really give a, an answer that would help them move forward and continue on with, with their goals.
Um, and he also, towards the end of his speech, speech, towards the end of his talk, he mentioned that um, he writes 49% of the book and the rest of it is up to, he's depending on teachers, librarians, and parents to do the heavy lifting and the work of the books, like talking about it with the kids, reading it with the kids, and having the kids understand different aspects of the book. Um, and in regards to his elephant and piggy books, I thought it was very interesting that he, right from the very beginning of creating that series, he kind of refused to level it um, because I don't know if if you know what easy reader books are um, they are for emerging readers and typically they're leveled so like like level one will be like much easier and they're just kind of full of sight words and just getting kids ready to read harder books on their own and he refused to do that with elephant and piggy um so yes, it was developed to be an easy, easy reader series, but it was all the same level and it wasn't, um, wasn't written in a way that was going to like talk down to any kids or. Yeah, these were new concepts to me. So, but it was, it was interesting to me too. And, and he kind of did that in the way that he responded to questions from children mm -hmm. too. Like he, it it's almost like he he knew how to explain it without dumbing it down mm -hmm. you know like he he didn't patronize or mm -hmm. or use smaller words he just kind of knew where he needed to explain a little bit more when he mm -hmm. was when he was talking about something and that's that's kind of what i i think he does with with these books like the the concepts in them are complex and and thought provoking maybe is a better way to describe that they're thought provoking um while still keeping simplicity and, mm -hmm. and you know, being able to, to reach a really wide audience of, of any type of reader. Mm -hmm. And to like help kids learn concepts like sharing or being thankful or what, which one did he talk about? I think he said there, he there's one friendship. called my, my friend is sad. Mm -hmm. Like oh, talking about example. those, those different kind of concepts. Um, that he could do through this whole series, but it wasn't done in a way that he had to like write it for. Oh, he didn't want to level it because he didn't want the younger kids to like only the younger kids be able to read it and kind of the older kids who weren't quite ready for chapter books, but were still in the easy reader phase, look at it and be like, oh, that's a book for babies. Like he wanted mm -hmm. it to be accessible to all of the readers that needed the easy readers, not just one part of it um which is kind of a difficult thing <laughs> mm -hmm. that is such a wide it's an interesting area and that was always an interesting area to kind of do readers advisory for because like those kids are all over the map just kind of like how how you deal with your kids in your read 180 class megan you kind of yeah it, it's kind of hard to uh to cater to all of them at the same time it is especially when they're at such varying levels and you want to be like okay you need to do that you need to read this book because you aren't capable of reading the captain underpants book yet you need to read yet that's the word yeah, yet yet 
Um, you need you need to read the book that looks like a baby book, but how do I get you to read the book that looks like a baby book? Because you don't want to because you're an eighth grader and it looks like a baby book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, give him some Mo Willems. That's what I say. All right. Mo Willems for everybody. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed the three books that yeah. I read on the way home. Yeah. It was an excellent talk and I am probably going to order his um, his 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 compendium of pigeon books. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't buy it on the day because it's like, do I want to spend this much money? Yes and no. So <laughs> always yes, different but day. willpower. Yeah. Restraint. Um, and again, during the Mo Willems uh, talk, it was not accompanied by a uh, a book signing, but he had he had signed a lot of copies um, that were being sold by Copperfield's books, who were who were there selling the signed books in the lobby. So I picked up a few, um, including the Naked Mole Rat Gets Dressed, which is the book that he has turned into a rock opera. And I need to find it. I think that one was my favorite. I think it's the Naked Mole Rat Wears Clothes. Thank you. That's what it was called. The Naked Mole Rat Wears Clothes. Um, but yeah, so we've been to several author talks. I've always got my eye out for any and all of them. And so does Megan. Katie just goes along with the breeze. And I always enjoy myself. <laughs> Um, so I had one more thing that came to mind um, that I wanted to mention about Tom Felton and his book and something he said in his interview was that he kind of wrote it without intending anyone to ever read it Um, and that definitely shines through when you do read it like it feels like a very vulnerable um, diary basically Um, and it feels very very honest and you can tell that when he was writing it he wasn't necessarily thinking about anybody else reading it. So it was, it was really cool. Hmm. I'm very interested. Yeah. I haven't read that one yet, but I'm looking forward to it. You guys will both and like Megan, it. If, yeah. Megan, if you want to borrow any of my newly acquired Mo Willems books, you can do that too. Thank you. All right. So next we are going to talk to friend of the show, Emily Waters. Welcome to this special segment. Uh, we are here with newly published authors, <laughs> Emily Waters. Welcome to the show, Emily. Thank you so much for having me. We're, we're very excited to have you. Katie and I have both really enjoyed your book. I'm um, not finished yet, though, so don't tell me how it ends. But she has <laughs> a, yeah, yeah, she has a she has a long <laughs> flight tomorrow, so I I suspect she'll be done by the time she gets to where she's going. <laughs> yes, I'm sure that I will. But I've been devouring it all day. Very cool, yes. thank you. Um, and uh, I also I in our our first question, um, you do have a blog. You are you are on the interwebs in many places, and I will say a a wonderful follow on Instagram, Facebook, and blog. You might be on Twitter too. I don't do too much Twitter. <laughs> It's a bad time to start, so. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but yeah, I am. I like to say of the internet, I'm an elder millennial, so that's sort of <clears throat> where I grew up. And uh, I've never been super into like a lot of hardcore social media, but I've sort of 
I'm an early adapter of a lot of platforms. And, and you're, you're very good at it too. I, you're very, yeah, you're intentional about what you post and I appreciate that. Yeah. I don't have, I think the bandwidth to constantly post all the time, like the youths of today. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I think when I figure out what I want to say, I, I try to say it as well as possible. It's always it's always well put. Um, and in your blog, you actually mentioned that you have always written, but you've never aimed to get published. With that in mind, what was your journey to become a published author? Yeah, it was sort of roundabout. So, um, what do you what do you know about fan fiction? I guess is my return <laughs> question to you. <laughs> I don't know a lot about it, other than I know you have um, dabbled. <laughs> Perhaps. Yeah, I think it's very bizarre, I think, to like talk about it because for a long time it was sort of like a thing you did that you didn't really talk about. Um, and now I think in this new wave of media, it's become a lot more mainstream. Um, but that's sort of how I started writing is I started writing fan fiction um, when I was a very young teenager, I think. And I just kind of, that was my hobby. That was like my one hobby that I've only ever had. Um, And um, now I think publishers are realizing that that's a very untapped market. So my publisher is this really cool publishing house named um, Ilva Publishing. They're German. That's uh, Y-L-V-A. It's a kind of wolf is my understanding. And um, and they reached out to me and they were like, hey, we read your story. We really like it. How would you feel about publishing it? Um, and I sort of was excited, but I also was hesitant because um, that turned my one hobby into a job. Yeah. And I was a little worried about, okay, well, what happens if I make this hobby work and then I don't want to do it anymore? Um, but I think the other side of that is I've always been a writer. I've never sort of stopped writing stories and I knew that I probably never would. So I think it was more um, a work-life balance thing than a, oh, I don't want to do this anymore thing, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. For sure. So yeah, they reached out to me and I said, okay. And um, I had like a Zoom with their um, CEO and I was sort of like, well, I like I looked at your roster and there's no one who really sort of writes the same way as me. And she was like, yeah, that's that's the point. And I was like, oh, <laughs> OK, I get it. <laughs> and um, so I signed a deal for three books. And then after that, I think if I want to stay with them, we can just do like a book by book basis. But I'm pretty cool. Wow. So the, the book that they reached out to you for was th- that was fanfic that you had written or it's this story that's, it's, that's published it's now? This story, it was a fan fiction. Um, and I think at like an online like lesbian fiction website had picked up the fanfic at some point and reviewed it. Um, and they had seen it there and read it and liked it. Um, I wrote for like a really small fandom. <laughs> So um, I I never have the expectation that anybody's actually looking at it, even though I can see metrics and numbers and I know that's not really true. Um, but it was, I was like, oh, this one? <laughs> so 
Um, it's it was a matter, I think, of adapting it enough to sort of stand on its own two feet. Um, but then once you do that, you know, with such a long story, a, a lot of it is your own anyway, so it's not that hard to do. Cool. Can I ask what it was based on? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm obsessed with the 2005 show, The Closer, starting Carrie Sedgwick. Um, oh. So it started out as that, um, which is, I think, more apparent if you know that and then read it. Um, but I, I've written a lot of stories for a lot of different fandoms over the years. I think if you talk to any sort of elder millennial, their first um, internet sensation is probably the X-Files. <laughs> um, <laughs> and sort of that's what I think got me interested in both um, TV shows and the internet at the same time, because that came out in like the early 90s, as did the internet, really. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, uh, Harry Potter was a really big fandom for a while. I'm a mm -hmm. big Star Trek junkie. So if you look at sort of where I post all my stuff, it's a really sort of diverse list of stuff. But, you know, I've been doing it for 25 years. So very, very cool. It's a long time. I, I did, I did <laughs> know that about you and the closer. <laughs> I like yeah. to, I like to pick up on your, your little, um, pop culture references I'm like oh yeah I remember when she was making her way through Cagney and Lacey we talked yeah, about right. that on the reference oh, desk I do love Cagney and Lacey uh, <laughs> I did a rewatch of that not that long ago and I was like mm, it's a little racist but you know they have the spirit so <laughs> some of those old shows don't always well yeah 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 oh and I think you even time. say that in the book it was very cute <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah I think so I think you're right yeah. Um, so you also mention on your blog and in social media posts uh, that you set a mood for every writing project that you do, like through music or color schemes. Um, how does this affect your creative process? I think um, you sort of have to like trick your brain a little bit into sort of getting into the right mindset. Um, it's some, like you can't just turn on creativity a lot of times um, when you have the time to like work on your project, right? So sometimes you're like, oh, I have an idea and I want to write it down and you can sort of just drop everything and open your computer and do what you need to do. But it doesn't always work like that, especially with like a full-time job and all your other stuff. So um, I find like a playlist or um, the right lighting or a candle with a like certain smell can really sort of trick your brain into like getting into that mindset a little more quickly. So for every story I write, I usually start a playlist. Um, and then as I'm writing it and I encounter songs that I think fit well with it, I'll just like pop it into that playlist. And then when I like turn that on, it sort of pushes me right into that mindset of those characters in that story and um, it makes it a little easier to work. That's very cool. So do you, for each book that you have, like, I know you're working on the second one. Is it completely different than the mood you set for the first one? Yeah, I think so. Um, you can, If you know my Spotify, you can certainly go, <laughs> go see it. It's not a secret. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, the first 
the book that I wrote is called Honey in the Marrow. Um, and yes. it's, thank you, thank you for saying that. I completely yeah. forgot to, to mention the name just, of your I book. I just figured we were gonna <laughs> we gonna separately record an intro, and that's why you didn't <laughs> lead with that. <laughs> I wrote a book. It's called Honey in the Marrow, um, and it's about grief, um, which is I think sort of a daunting uh, subject. Uh, the premise is there's a woman named Stella and she is a prosecutor for Los Angeles County and her husband's a cop and her husband gets murdered. Um, that's not a spoiler, you learn that on like the third page. Um, but, and then she sort of, her life sort of like spins out of control because she'd really sort of figured out her life and how it was gonna go to the end and then that rug got pulled out from under hers. So, She's not doing well when we meet her. She's severely depressed. You know, she's eating like garbage. She's not sleeping. Um, so she sort of shut everybody out of her life. And um, and then her niece moves in with her and reconnects her with a colleague. And they sort of, sort of pick her up, dust her off, write her, and then she can sort of fall in love. Um, but the first half of the book is kind of bleak. Um, and it's, it could be a hard sell. So like, you're not gonna listen to the same sort of music as my second book, which is like set at a summer camp for teenagers. <laughs> so it's like a different vibe. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, like sometimes there's like, you know, there's always gonna be Taylor Swift on a mix or whatever, but um, <laughs> it's, it's definitely a different, different feeling for sure. Uh, you did, I'll, you just mentioned that you have a full-time job as a children's librarian, I'm a children's which is librarian. yeah, which is like a, a, a job and a half sometimes. sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how did you find the time to to write your books as well? I don't. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I did it. It's all a blur. Um, I. I. You know intentional with your time and it sounds like garbage the whole like oh work-life balance thing um but for me I've always carved out windows of time to write because I think when I didn't I started to feel bad like physically like emotionally like I'd get backed up because I think writing is how I like process the way that I see the world if that makes sense mm -hmm. um so I would like do it in the evening or on the weekends or um, on my lunch break. You know, I, I would sort of got really good at like carving out these really small windows, like thinking about what I wanted to write all day, like processing it in my head. And then in really small windows, sort of just like typing really fast <laughs> and like trying to get what I wanted out. out. Um, but when it came to like the actual book deal and having deadlines and word count goals and stuff like that. Like I realized really quickly, I had to be a lot more structured. Um, so for me, that looked like um, I have like an old laptop and I would just sort of open it anywhere and make it work. But I realized I needed like a dedicated space. Um, so we redid we call it the makeup room. <laughs> I have a lot of me. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, so we redid that room. We like, my partner built me a desk. 
Um, and we sort of structured it to be like an actual space where I could work. Um, and that helped a lot. And then I just sort of stopped having weekends for a while. Um, you know, they would be like, oh, do you want to go X, Y, and Z? And I'd be like, oh, you need to leave me alone for like 72 hours. <laughs> <laughs> and then I sort of had to be strategic about it too. Um, like I knew what my major deadlines were going to be. And so <laughs> when we did our vacation requests this year, I sort of tried to align them um, with my deadlines so that like I knew if I had a big one coming up, I'd like have a week off around there mm-hmm. to really just sort of hunker down and work so that was helpful and I know that's not always realistic but it worked out that was smart worked for you yeah so I did not write this question but (laughs) from a viewer (laughs) this this is from Megan who who couldn't be with us tonight but um she wanted to know how do you choose the names for your characters yeah it's a lot of um like baby name sites Um, (laughs) for it's you know I think especially when you come out of fan fiction I think the great thing about fan fiction is that um a lot of that like world building and like structure is done for you already um so I I find I sit down with a book I want to read and I read three pages and I I feel a little bored because you really have to get through the like, who is this person and where are they and what's the setting and why do you care about these people? Um, and when you're reading a fan fiction, like you don't have to do that. You know who mm-hmm. the characters are, you know the setting. You can like, from page one, you just kind of hit the ground running. Um, so I, you know, I've never had to name my characters that much <laughs> um, So for, for Honey and Amaro, um, I, the main character is from Tennessee, and so her and her brothers are all named after um, Tennessee Williams characters, Stella oh, and nice. Tom, and her brother Brick. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, her love interest Elizabeth is an Irish cop, so I gave her like a very Irish name, Elizabeth Murphy. Um, but sometimes it's just a name that you like. You know, I I don't have kids. I'm not going to name children. So (laughs) there's no need for me to hoard names. Um, I like a name that lends itself to a good nickname, too. Um, So I try to pick something that also has a nickname built into it. But that's just me. And not not to toot my own horn, but you did (laughs) name a character after me. I was going to bring it up if you didn't. Page 41. (laughs) (laughs) I read it and I laughed out loud because I was like, oh my God, how many times have I and probably Emily had the same conversation with a patron? Oh, well, that's true. But I did have a, you know, there was a library interaction and I was like, I didn't name that character at first. And my editor was like, you should, you should name your character. (laughs) And I was like, all right, all right. And then I thought, like, who's my favorite librarian? And it's Julia. um, I thought that was a good little nod to our friendship. That was sweet. No, I did appreciate it. When you told me, I was and like, oh, my God. <laughs> and you yeah, were all very excited. Like, guess what? Yep. We found out right away. And I, <laughs> yeah. I think you you captured her her sweetness and snark and helpfulness all in, like, <laughs> right. a couple paragraphs. But that's I also. I think if you've ever worked in a library that 
conversation will occur. It's, yeah. it's pretty amazing <laughs> how many people do not bring either their library card or their ID to the desk. <laughs> and then, like, boggling. <laughs> get really huffy when you ask for it. I always want to be like, do you go into the DMV and then, like, make a big deal about showing them your driver's license? <laughs> <laughs> like, no. This is for we your are protection. also the government. And, yeah, this is for your protection and privacy, ma'am. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I have found like what I do is now I just say okay I'll wait and then I don't yeah. budge nice. and they'll like twist themselves all into knots and I'll be like yeah. no it's fine I'll wait and then eventually yeah. they'll just go get it so. yeah they're like oh, oh it's in the car yeah. I'm like okay cool go get it <laughs> oh you want me to get it yeah oh Thank okay you. I'll hold Thank these you. books right here for you <laughs> <laughs> uh. Thank goodness. Anyway, did I answer your question? I can't remember what it was. Yes. No, I thought, I thought, I actually, before Megan wrote that question, I actually had that thought too, because I was like, my God, I can't even imagine naming an entire book of people. Yeah. Naming stuff um, is the worst and titles are the worst and everything about it is the worst. So yeah, <laughs> I don't know anyone who's like, that's my favorite part. They're liars. <laughs> Um, speaking of names, uh, you do write under a pseudonym. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about why you chose to do that? Yeah. The, na- the name that you chose, is there a significance behind it? Yes, to all. Um, I had a vision <laughs> of someone Googling my name to see when my story time was. Oh, and then finding my like spicy romance novel, is- <laughs> and I just like was like, oh, we're we're not gonna go down that road. So I decided because my last name is not very common. Um, um, I decided I wanted to do the pseudonym thing, and I think it's it's not everybody in like the genre that I'm in, but it's fairly common. Um, Because, you know, like the idea that you write these romance novels with these love scenes and then Mm -hmm. like people are going to then look at you later. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, It's very vulnerable. It's a lot. So um, and also, you know, the the main characters, they're gay. And so it's like another level, like it's like a coming out on top of that. And I just was not going to do it. So I chose Emily Waters. It's um, my grandmother's name, actually. Um, I guess it was really common back in the day Mm -hmm. to name your child something and then only call them by their middle name. And so that's Mm -hmm. what happened with her. And so I was like 12 or something before I like saw a piece of mail that had the name Emily on it and I was like who is she and she had to be like that's me and I was like no 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 um and Waters was her maiden name so I sort of think of it as like a version of her that didn't really exist um because she was never Mm -hmm. like really called that Mm -hmm. um but it's like a a way that I sort of quietly celebrate her nonetheless That's really beautiful. Yeah, I love that. She doesn't know about it. <laughs> Nobody tell her. The I want sentiment <laughs> is beautiful. <laughs> so she she'd be so proud of you, though. She yeah. would, but also. Mm. <laughs> I actually was wondering when when I got to that part of the book, I was like, I wonder, I wonder if 
her grandma knows. <laughs> no, she can't know about it from heaven. Um, <laughs> but not on this earth, so. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair beautiful. enough. Yeah. So what have you learned through this process about the publishing industry that you weren't expecting? I think when you sign with like a small house, so I think there are like three roads you can take, right? You can do the self-publishing road, which is a lot more common. And Julia, you and I know that like people come into the library all the time and are like, I wrote this book and will you take it? And we're like, yeah. no, because um, a, <laughs> a lot of the time it's sad. But I think especially with Amazon and Kindle Unlimited, um, you can make a lot of money there, right? Especially if you write fast. You can sort of churn out these stories that are not really long and um, sort of turn a fast profit. And so a lot of people are doing that these days. And some of them are good and some of them are not good. And that's sort of any book, though. So, um, And then you can go like a smaller publisher. And so my contract, I don't get an advance. Um, I get a percentage of sales. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're you're taking they're taking on like the cost of editing and printing and that sort of thing and then you take on sort of the onus of a lot of the marketing like they help a little they talk about it and you get in their newsletter and you're on their website or whatever Mm -hmm. um but they don't have a lot of money to put into marketing so you really sort of have to do that on your own which is why i have twitter and facebook and instagram (laughs) all the things mastodon now um and then if you like sign with a big five right like you get the advance and you sort of get the bells and whistles but uh it's a farther fall if you don't do well essentially so i think the smaller publishing house felt like a safe way to start i think a lot of authors too will like start with a smaller publishing house like this and sort of use it to navigate their way up to a bigger house, if that's something they're interested in. I think the most interesting thing I've learned is because of the pandemic and inflation and whatever, um, the cost of paper has gotten really high and it's gotten really difficult to get. Mm-hmm. So my publisher, not that long ago, was like, hey, I need you to keep your word count below the like x number because it's too expensive to print if it's any longer wow, wow. <laughs> which was a very like i was like mm-hmm. oh that makes a lot of sense but um that was a really like eye-opening you know it's a business yeah right business. Yeah. um and it's an artistic business but it's a business nonetheless and they're just trying to make it work so that was kind of wild yeah so did that hinder the creative process for you at all knowing that there was a limitation on the length and and amount that you could write yeah kind of um so the the great thing about fan fiction uh is a lot of the ways it's sort of serialized i mean you can write like a short story or a complete story and like post it all in one go and people do and i even do that um but a lot of people will like write chapter by chapter and then like post it chapter by chapter and that's um, it's a good way to keep people hooked. It's a good people mm-hmm. way to um, drive up engagement. You know, mm-hmm. if you post something one time and people look at it one time, then you get that one click. But if you they're coming back every time you post a chapter, you, right, your data looks better. Um, but you know, 
you can sort of write it forever if you want. <laughs> so when I originally wrote this story, um, it took me about a year and a half to write it. Um, and it was over 100,000 words, it was long. And, you know, she was like, this is great. You know, it needs to be under 100,000 words. <laughs> I was like, my art, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> every word is perfect, which is not true. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of the, like, early edits were just sort of culling it down to, mm -hmm. like, a more manageable size. Um, uh, but the original story had sort of a different ending. It had a whole other chapter. Mm -hmm. uh, it had a, like a whole subplot that got cut. And so I think some a couple of the reviews have been like, oh, it sort of ended abruptly. And I'm like, it kind of did because I cut a whole chapter out um, <laughs> and a whole plot. And it was like a totally different ending. So I don't think that's a bad thing. I think, you know, a lot of editing is, getting out that extra stuff and sort of polishing it down to its best self. And I, I think we did that. My editor is this really great woman named Alyssa. Um, and she is working with me on book two and will work with me on book three. So we're really sort of getting to know each other and you, she knows how I write now and I know what she's going to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I had to sort of really figure out, okay, what is the actual story I, I want to tell? with this version and it's okay that it's different than the original. Yeah. Uh, with that said, can you give us a status update on your next book? Yeah, it's gonna come out sometime in 2023. I wanna say in the front half of 2023. Oh, that's soon. Um, I, I know. Uh, so this, like, I signed on for three books and when you're sort of self-marketing in a way, um, my, my goal was to have one come out every year of that three years, mm -hmm. um, just because marketing wise, it's better. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but that means, you know, I was sort of working on edits while writing this book mm -hmm. and then like editing both at the same time. And I, it was kind of crazy there for a while. Yeah. And um, I was That's like, this is too much. This is crazy. I'm not going to do this again. Well, I'm already doing it again. <laughs> I'm already like, you have found your process the contract for book three. I'm like, I'm stupid. I was done. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the second book I mentioned is about um, summer camp. It's um, two women who go to this like eight week long summer camp to counsel. Um, and one of them, her life has sort of fallen apart very recently and she's um trying to escape a summer moving back in with her parents which relatable and um <laughs> and the other woman is sort of like a a foster kid who has grown up and now lives on her own and is very independent and good at being alone um but she's very lonely and she's just sort of starting to realize it and so they meet at the summer camp. Looking, yeah, looking forward to that. <laughs> and guessing, guessing, um, what fanfic this is based off of. <laughs> <laughs> it's you know it did start as that, um, but I will say, for Honey in the Marrow, like you can see the bones of the original really clearly. Like it's it's not that different. Mm -hmm. um, with this one, it's like a totally. 
I, it may have started off as something, but it's like a totally different thing now. It's really had its little transformation. Transformation. And I feel like I'm missing something. What is it? What should I be picking up on with the the summer camp? What it's based on? Um. It. So it started out as a a drag race fanfiction. Is that? Oh, okay. Um, if you can believe that. Um, <laughs> Interesting. I think after uh, such a kind of intense story about grief I was like I want something a little lighter yeah um but also again my publisher is German and I don't think the humor of the American drag culture translates very well (laughs) (laughs) and she was like huh and I was like okay I'll fix it so it sort of has become (laughs) I think the only sort of recognizable uh thing now is the location of it but I loved going to summer camp as a kid, and um, it's based sort of on the camp that I attended as a child, the location. So it was fun to sort of revisit that and uh, that world for a little while. Well, that's awesome. Sounds really fun. Um, Thank you. Thank you, Emily, for being with us. Um, Thank you for having me. Yeah. At the beginning of this episode, we said that... um, I believe November or November 1st, I don't remember exactly what we said, we recorded a few days ago, is um, like author appreciation month or something. So oh. we greatly appreciate you being here. Yeah, we I really do. Yeah. And we, we're looking forward to the next book. Um, but for right now, you can find Honey in the Marrow at all the major places, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Yeah, How was that when you, when you saw it on Barnes and Noble? Oh my God, I was shook. <laughs> Um, (laughs) uh yeah so you can find it on amazon uh it's in kindle unlimited i think for another month or two um and then it'll be available as an ebook on like all the platforms um you can get it on the ilva publishing website um and you can get it on barnes and noble and if you have a local bookseller um you can have them order it for you if you don't want to feed the amazon machine but definitely definitely support emily (laughs) it was a great book i loved it (laughs) congratulations on the book and congratulations on the deal can't wait to read the next one too yeah well i think that'll bring us to a close on this episode of sibling library uh as always in the month of november always thankful for you two or whatever Uh, (laughs) but let's keep reading sharing and repeating all right goodbye happy thanksgiving bye bye everyone that brings us to a close on this chapter of sibling library thank you for listening until next time let's read share and repeat